This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Welcome to Talking Flutes. I'm Claire Southworth. Now today, I'm going to talk about the much neglected genius that is Charles Kirschlin, the French composer who died in 1950. Now I know that many of our listeners will not have heard about Kirschlin, but he was a prolific composer and especially prolific in his flute compositions. And I'm chatting today with Nicky Woodward, who has recently recorded Kirschlin's epic collection Les Chants de Nectaire. So hello, Nikki. Hello, Claire. Lovely to be here. Yeah, lovely to talk to you. Um, and in, this project is a huge volume of work, an enormous undertaking by you. I think there's something like 90 pieces. 96 pieces, and it's just over three hours worth of music. Wow. Um, all for unaccompanied flute. Um, so yeah, it's quite an extraordinary collection by an extraordinary gentleman. Okay, so I think, first of all, I'm gonna give a very brief resume um, of him. But before I do, I need you to tell me, how do I pronounce his name? Is it Kirschling, Kirkling, or something else? Um, well, I've spent many years pronouncing his name in different ways, all of them wrong, until quite recently, I had a, a wonderful Zoom meeting with his grandson and daughter-in-law, and I really felt as if I'd been to their flat in Paris. And at the end of the interview, he, he very, um, very politely just raised his hand and said, oh, actually, it's, it's Kiklin. So much more of an E sound and none of the sort of sh that the BBC uh, use. Um, so I heard it from, from um, Laurent Kiklin himself. So it's K-O-E-C-H-L-I-N, Kiklin. Yes, and I've heard it pronounced in many different ways, but thank, thank you for that. So Keeklin. So if I should just give a brief resume, resume of Keeklin. Now, he was by all accounts an eccentric and a complex character, and he had many passions or obsessions in his life, which influenced his compositions, ranging from astronomy to literature, the cinema to photography, certainly a very rich and varied life. Uh, he studied with Massenet and Foray, his pupils included Fauré and Mio. And as, as I said earlier, his flute compositions are many, but today we're going to concentrate on this particular series called Les Chants de Nectaire. And I think it was first premiered in France by Marcel Moyes. Is that right, Nikki? I think so. I think Jan Mary also um, performed the work in the very early days. Um, I'm not sure that the cycle was performed complete at any point back then, though. But I haven't come across anyone who's performed the, the complete three hours worth. It's quite an undertaking. Undertaking uh, and an ordeal, really, because um, they're not easy. <laughs> well, for the listener and the player. Well, mainly, I was mainly for the player. They're, very, they're technically very demanding. They are, they sort of, um, someone once described them as little bombs of virtuosity, which I rather liked. Um, there are a lot of really sort of long sustained pieces and lots of 
very demanding legato and then you just flip into a complete contrast so it's it's more of an emotional um emotionally demanding as much as it is physically just because you're on your own and there's just so many contrasts yes and and they range sort of from the you could say from the simple to the extremely complex yeah they do they do i mean there there's some really amazingly beautiful simple prayers um I mean, unbelievably simple, really, and that, but they just work so well. And then some of it, yeah, is is really kind of definitely um, level nine technical stuff. You're jumping all over the place from high to low in fast staccato and massive contrasts of dynamics. So, I mean, they work kind of on any level, but there's so much more to that music that you you can play it as well as you want to play it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, his his inspiration, from what I've read, comes from Greek mythology to philosophy. And there's also a large element. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wasn't religious as such, but um, he was probably one of the early humanists. I mean, he, he declared himself a pantheist, um, so he believed in lots of different gods. Um, and he was a very spiritual man, and that, that and his total sincerity comes over in everything he's written. But the inspiration for, for these particular works were a book by Anatole France, um, a novel written in 1914, that basically it's a crazy story but the angels plot they descend to earth disguised as humans and they plot to overthrow god and put satan on the throne um and it's a wonderful book it's, it's a kind of you know they're literally gadding around in paris society causing havoc being slightly mischievous um there is a, a good sort of moral ending to the book but it, but it is again it's a bit of a snub to the Catholic Church. But the main character, not the main character, one of the main characters in the book is Nectar, who's a sage and a flute player. And um, I would really love to read a little bit of the translation because I think it's just the most beautiful bit of writing um, describing Nectar's flute playing. So you can really see why Hiclan was inspired to write so many pieces. But um, So Anatole France writes, Nectar raised the flute to his lips it was a simple wooden pipe that he could have made himself. He began to play strange phrases at first and then rich melodies over which trills shone like diamonds and pearls on velvet. And that's fabulous. Um, wielded by dexterous fingers and filled with the breath of creation, the rustic pipe resonated like a silver flute. One could hear all at once the nightingales, the muses, all of nature and all of mankind. The old man continued to play, organising his thoughts in a musical speech full of grace and audacity. And then it goes on to talk about some of the, um, the things that the music spoke of. And actually, many of the next phrases I'm going to read became direct titles for pieces in the first collection. So the music spoke of love, that's the piece, fear, vain quarrels, victorious laughter, the tranquil clarity of intelligence, and I love this, the spirit arrows that pierce the monsters of ignorance and hatred. He also told of joy and sorrow, bending their twin heads over the air, and of the desire that creates worlds. Then there's a whole lot about how his flute playing um, threw the heavens into disarray and basically gives the, the flute absolute supernatural powers. Um, by its incantations, the magic flute condensed the life and moments of the universe seemingly unalterable to men and angels. Well, sounds, sounds amazing. Now, did you... Stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it is. 
this we 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 should definitely have a listen to one of the tracks. Um, just before I do play one of them, can you tell me? Did you read the book in the original French or is it translated? I read it. I did read it in English. Have I read? I think it's only the main speech that I've read in French. But no, I'm afraid that was a bit beyond my dedication to read it in French. <laughs> Why don't we have a listen to one of the tracks? Which one should we listen to? Well, I'm absolutely spoilt for choice because apart from about, let's say, six, I would say they're all absolute gems worthy of listening to in their own right. But I'm going to suggest we take number eight from book two, which is Je de Niades, Niades at Play. Let's have a listen. She's a familiar character. we just listened to Niades from Nikki's recording and I think that gives you a good idea of the, uh, of the, the style um, and the variety within the writing. Would you say that Nikki? Um, yes I think Niades is, is lovely because it's it's one of the more unusual and it's got sort of two styles it's got the very watery um, sort of whole tone um, opening and there's a bit of playfulness in the middle um, um, and it's just beautiful very atmospheric. Well, I mean, they, they all are, to be honest. Yeah, now, you are obviously incredibly involved in in Jimenez music and to have, I said this, a huge undertaking by you to have recorded three hours worth of, of music by him and solo flute is always very difficult. So I think you really tell us, how did this come about? What drew you to him? Well, I first 
found the music just randomly on a, a shelf at Jonathan Miles' shop, as you do when you're browsing. Kept going back to it. I, I don't, you know, um, obviously I've got lots of music that I pick up and whatever. This, this just kept, I kept going back and playing it and I played it in a few concerts. And then I remember doing a festival once and it was a very um, sort of eclectic festival and the concerts happened in a lady's kitchen. And there were about 40 people there and I was playing unaccompanied and I played a piece called Sous la mort d'un chat, On the Death of a Cat. Now, there were two cats in the room because that's just the kind of festival it was. They'd been silent throughout the recital. And I got to this piece and this poor cat, I've never known anything quite so distressing. The cat went absolutely mad. It was arching its back. It was making these horrible sounds. Um, and the piece entitled On the Death of a Cat, and everyone was really astounded. And I think for me, I, I sort of knew there was something more more to this music than meets the eye, this kind of spiritual spirituality. And that, um, I don't know, it just really spoke in volumes that this, this music was special. That was a fairly concrete moment. Um, and then I ended up playing one of them, one of these pieces at a funeral in Clifton Cathedral in Bristol. And it's got this incredible um, sort of concrete dome. And the head of music at the cathedral saw, saw this coming, put the music stand under the dome so the, the sound would echo. And it was it was beautiful. Um, that was Richard Jeffrey Gray, who um, has his own recording label. And we got talking about Keekland generally. And um, I was hoping to record them at some point. And then he, he just suggested that, that we did. So it went from there. Um, we yeah. planned to do just book two first because in a way I think that's the most accessible. And then we, well, to cut a long story short, we had such fun doing it and it just seemed a shame not to do the complete series. The collection has been also recorded many years ago by Pierre-Yves Artaud. I haven't been able to hear that one. I, I've heard some other recordings of part of the series by the wonderful Man Maniela Weisler and Francesca Arnone amongst some others. Have you heard any of these recordings and, and did you admire any of those? Did they help you in your choices? To be honest, I mean, you've obviously been more resourceful in, than I have in, in looking these out because I had a, a CD of Alexa still playing them, but not all of them. And then there was, um, I think his surname is pronounced Jonkart, and I think he's Belgian. Um, this chap had recorded them. They were all up online. But I went several times to visit the site and it seemed to be broken. I'm sure it's fixed now. But I really got the idea that they hadn't been recorded for a very long time. And the more I got into Kikla mm -hmm. and his personality, I started to feel this huge sense of injustice that the music wasn't out there. So I just wanted to do it. You know, even if we were doing it again, I just thought he, he really deserves a, a push and deserves to be out there. So I can't say I was really influenced by other recordings because the honest answer is I didn't manage to find them. But that didn't matter to me. I, I tend not to listen to other people's recordings if I'm going to record something myself anyway. I'd rather consolidate my own ideas and then sort of check in. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's exactly how it should be. The sheet music is available. I did notice that if you bought the whole series in, in France, it was going to cost over 60 Yes, yes, I got the complete book for my 47th birthday. I think it felt very decadent um, because I think it, then it was 50 quid. This is a problem. It's an ongoing problem. And I am talking to the publishers about this and we hope to make it more accessible. 
there are publications of it, it's it, the book is in three three separate volumes um 32 pieces in each now there were some collections um printed with just 20 selected from the 32 and they were available for sort of 11 or 12 euros um i think some of those are they're not many copies around but they are available but um book one seems to be out of print um, but I'm really hoping and praying that before too long we'll be able to get it so that people can just buy one, you know, buy them in small increments and possibly even just, you know, print on demand because that would be that would be a really good way to get it accessible. Hopefully, because otherwise people can't really access them easily. Um, I mean, no. I, I just have to apologise for any extra noises now because my husband just came back with shopping of the dogs and they're drinking a lot of water, which might be heard in the background, so my apologies. Um, now, um, Keegan wrote many, many pieces for flute. Um, I can't remember many of them offhand. I know there were um, uh, some sonatas, there were some shorter pieces, there's so much chamber music. Um, but uh, are there any other pieces that you would like to point people to that you know of? Um. I think the, there's a, a sonata for two flutes, which is really atmospheric. Um, there's quite a good, I can't remember who by now, but there's quite a good rendition of that on YouTube. Um, there are some beautiful quintets, Primavera, for flute, harp and string trio. Those, those stand out. Um, it's been very difficult to access either the music or a recording, but the albums for Lillian are two albums um, dedicated to Lillian Harvey, who he was completely besotted with. Um, she was a, an early film star. Um, and those are for flute, soprano and piano and different combinations. Um, but there's one piece in there called Voyage Chimérique, which um, <laughs> has been described as a most extraordinary hallucinatory journey. So if you can get hold and have a listen to that, that sort of gives you a bit of an idea. Um, you know, he was certainly very imaginative. Uh, he was, wasn't he also besotted with Ginger Rogers? Yes, I think I think Lillian Harvey was probably the the big. I don't want to say love of his life, but yes, he 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 was obsessive. I mean, not just with um, film stars, with with I think everything he did. I mean, you don't write ninety six pieces if you don't. You know, that's kind of obsessive, isn't it? Really, but I think in a good way. Um, for me, that just means. He was probably a bit on the spectrum and when he got into something he he really got in there and dug deep and explored everything um and he had a, this amazing lively mind I and mean, you can see even from the photos of him that there's just a real twinkle in his eye there's there's an energy there that comes through in a black and white photo taken i don't know 70 years ago you, you can't mistake it um, and i think that's just the nature mm -hmm. of the beast these genius types yeah and are. i must say when i was researching um, I found him to be a fascinating character. Um, so, so for our listeners, I think it's, it's well worth going and, and Googling him and some, some of his other pieces as well, because he is a fascinating character. Now, let's move on to your recordings. Now, with my analysis hat on, um, I'm always interested in players' choices with regards to style interpretation. So there's two areas I wanted to ask you about. Uh, first of all, I know it's difficult to record solo flute and get the right balance with the, the acoustic. So the acoustic is quite echoey as if playing in a church. So that was one thing I wanted to ask you about. And the other thing was, 
it's early 20th century French music. Um, were there any specific stylistic choices you made with regards to interpretation? For example, I noticed that you use very little vibrato. So we've got the echo of the acoustic, but not so much vibrato. So are these two things that you uh, purposely chose to do? To be honest, I don't really analyze in that kind of way. So it's interesting you're saying I, I don't use much vibrato. That, that's, I can honestly say that's not something I've really thought about. My approach is very much, um, I mean, I think with all these pieces, they, they are complete structurally, they're complete gems. So my only goal, I think, when I'm playing a piece is if you get to the end and you've, you know that pin drop moment when you've created that sort of atmosphere, like you almost always get at the end of Syrinx or, or you really should get it at the end of Syrinx. I'm, I'm looking for that. And I don't really think too much about the techni te technicalities of, of how I've got there. Um, I plan where I'm going to build up and, you know, that's obviously got to be, you know, the climax has to be right so that you've got somewhere to come away from. So there's a sort of an overall plan. Um, and yes, there, there is, I have certainly got little markings in my score of, you know, vibrato here or, you know, when I've listened back to the recording, I thought, oh, ouch, that's, that's too simple, that's too plain, or this needs a bit more warmth. So It's almost like um, a refreshing change because uh, a lot of flute players these days overuse vibrato and the vibrato sort of gets in the way of the music. But I just wondered whether that was a specific choice you made. And what about the acoustic? Now the acoustic is, is something else. And I, I don't think I would record very many combinations of instruments in that acoustic. Um, works with unaccompanied, I think. I mean, and I think, again, it could well be too much for some people's taste. I did question it, run it past a couple of good friends who, who play the flute. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's kind of outdoor music. It's meant to be played in the mountains and well, that's that's kind of my feel. It's very pastoral. So I think that that really works. And if I'm quite honest, it was really indulgent because it's just heaven playing in there. Um, and I think I think the acoustic does really offer something. I mean, you have to be a bit careful. You have to be really present, I think, with this staccato and that probably suffers a little bit in the acoustic, but Richard um, at Hoxha, I mean, he's he's a genius. He just makes everything work. The microphone was a good 20 feet away from where I was standing, which is not what you would expect at all. But I've, I've done things with him before and he's, he's put the microphone in some very strange places, but got excellent results. I think you're right. I think maybe the articulation is lost a little bit, but... What you might lose there, which I don't think people will listen and pick up on, is you, you gain on the atmosphere. So you, you create a, a mood, a, an arena, which is a different to a lot of recordings. So, and, and I think on some of the other recordings I listened to of the same pieces, quite a lot of them did similar sort of things where it's quite an echoey acoustic, which really helps enhance that the, the the solo flute so so I think it's 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 a good thing but I said the only maybe maybe the the clarity of articulation gets lost a little bit but in those particular pieces it's not something anyone would ever pick up on no I, I tend to agree but I think also I mean this whole um lockdown period has been very interesting for me and I think I think as a player 
precise articulation was probably my weak point. And I've really, I've learned to circular breathe over the last couple of years and really adjust, readjusted my embouchure. And I play a lot crisper now than I did when those, I mean, I would love to record them all again, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think you should. I think you've done a marvelous job. Now talk to me about, so did you use circular breathing in these recordings? Um, I don't think I did. I probably would if I was playing them live. I might just use the odd moment just to grab a bit of there at the end of a phrase, but not not as a, a sort of feature. I mean, the trouble is with circular breathing, you, you can hear the nose breath a little bit. So no, no, I don't. I, I mean, no, I don't think I did. Because some of the phrases are very long. You sustain them really well. So I, I think for yeah. the majority of, of people playing them, they wouldn't be able to sustain the air as, as well as you do on the recordings. Well, that's something I... Thank you. I mean, I did really work at that. And and there is no cheating, I promise, even though you almost could in that acoustic. But yeah, I mean, you can play incredibly softly because you're playing on your own. So that means, you, you know, you can you can get away with a lot longer phrases than you might if you were playing with a big pianist or something. Yeah. So I meant to add the the acoustic. It's actually an eight second reverb at the end of uh, end of a note. And what's really extraordinary, I don't know if you picked it up on the recording, but obviously intonation is really hard when you're on your own. And there will be plenty of times where I play a note at the end of something, stop, and then listen. And what seemed to be travelling round, you could literally hear that the harmonics go, and the pitch would just seem to go whoop. <laughs> or one way or the other so so that was really a very strange experience so you just got to trust that that's okay and hope people won't pick you up on it but mm -hmm. it did feel mm -hmm. at times as if I was playing out of tune and you could put the machine up or whatever and it would be absolutely fine when you're playing and it's when you stopped that it wasn't fine. When you're recording in that acoustic there are a lot more difficulties than there are advantages. <laughs> yeah I agree. It is very different. Anyway, it's a good moment, I think, to listen to another one. Which one would you like us to listen to? Um, did we say we would listen to the prayer? Bird collection is, is very spiritual. There are lots of prayers. And I think um, Prière de Malade, Prayer of Someone Sick.
that that was wonderful, Nikki. Thank you for that. So, what's your plans for the the new year? Especially, I was doing quite a lot of you know hour long unaccompanied programs before lockdown. Anyway, unaccompanied was my big thing, so I'm going to be doing those, and each of those will have a a good collection of Kiklam in the middle. So, hopefully, also I meant to say with the competition, the the publishers um, have agreed to. Uh, let let a couple of pieces go, or hopefully a few more than that. So people that sign up for the competition will get access to a handful of pieces um, as part of the you know the entrance fee. And I'm hoping that we'll, as I said, we'll be able to get them more readily available than that. That sounds wonderful. And what's the prize? The prize again, I don't know. Always the glory, <laughs> and it's the the taking part. Um, but we'll see. I'm hoping you know some sponsor will will come along. But the the Amis de Charles Coquelin, um are on board, and I've I've had some quite well some very lovely chats with the family. I was hoping to go to Paris last March and meet them. I had my train ticket booked and everything, but obviously that will happen in due course. But yes, hopefully some some uh, complete volumes of the the music will be. Um, up there with prizes and I'm sure people people always want some cash so we'll have to work on that. <laughs> well I think to get the sheet music would be a fantastic prize uh, and, I, and I think that would uh, encourage lots of people to, to go in for it. Well Nikki it's been fascinating I mean it's uh, hearing about uh, Keekland it's encouraged me to go and seek him out an amazing man so thank you for introducing him to us and to the listeners and I wish you lots of luck and success with spreading his name to the to the to the wider field. And I hope it goes really well. So thank you for chatting to us today. Thank you very much, Claire. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much to Nikki. And I do apologise for the sound quality, but we were chatting over Zoom. It's fascinating that Keeklin entrusted massive subjects like life and death to solo flute. And to find out more, do visit Nikki's website, www.nicolawoodward.uk. Any questions you might have for us, write in to flutepodcasts at gmail.com or you can ask us on our designated Talking Flutes page on Facebook. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handles at flute and at Clareflute. Till next time, goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit